Welcome to Anna Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Anna, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Abby, a university student turned activist from Myanmar. When the coup broke out in February, Abby, like so many young people, took to the streets to peacefully show her opposition to military rule. But a brutal military crackdown resulted in two of her friends being shot in the head and killed while peacefully protesting. This experience made Abby determined to continue to resist however she could. Abby believes in the civil disobedience movement and thinks this is key to taking down the military. Hence, she has continued to raise funds to support striking CDM workers to ensure they are not forced back to work. Wanting to find a way to create more income for those participating in CDM, Abby, with some friends, has set up an initiative called Coup and Canvas, which sells beautiful artworks and merchandise. The money raised goes to support Burmese artists and striking CDM workers in Myanmar. Here, Abby talks about the effects the coup has had on her, and how the death of so many innocent young people hurried motivates her to keep resisting. She also tells us about the fantastic creative initiative Q and Canvas. Let's start the conversation. So, uh, Abby, it's really great to meet you and thanks for joining us. It'd be great if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners can maybe get a sense of who you are. Um, so, like before Coop, I am a first year student. I study architecture and I had a very hectic life with like zero interest in politics. Like, it's not a thing to be proud of, but like, let me be brutally honest here. Um, I think it's basically the same for most kids my age. Like, we were very, very oblivious, like before Coop. And I was working on a tech startup called Inotech with my friends. And like even two days before Coop, we were like planning to design a universal learning app for Myanmar University students, something like Kent Academy. So like no one in my team would have ever had a thought of something like military coup. But I guess there was that rumor spreading on social media about the fact that military was going to stage the coup. But neither me or most of my friends wouldn't have really cared about such news. Because like back in 2007 and stuff like that happened before we were like four or five year olds and at an age where parents were really tell their kids what's going on in the outside world, especially about politics. So, like, the coup is our first experience. Like, on the first day of coup, I remember me and my friends having a call, and we made it come down till, like, 12 a.m., and waited if there's gonna be, like, internet censorship. Like, but there was, and it was liberal cyber relief. And then there were controversies about uh, protesting going on. On the first two days, we were, like, told to stay at home and, like, not really go out on streets and protest because now I think of it, it was just our military's propaganda and not to let people go out and, you know, show resentment towards their actions. So, Abby, in terms then of, like, those first couple of days, as you said, where everyone kind of stayed at home and nobody went out to protest, but then, you know, 48 hours later, people started taking to the streets. Did you initially protest or did you still, like, just stay at home? Actually, like, um, joined in most of the protests um, back in February until there are, like, killings where, like, military just shoot whoever they see. So, yeah, I joined in the protest back in February. And, yeah, like most people, I guess, as soon as they started shooting people, it was a kind of time to stop. <laughs> so when the protests stopped, I guess, for a lot of you guys, um, for your own safety, a lot of you took your activism online. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you did and why and kind of your involvement in, in activism so like the first 
two or three months. What I did was I speak out on social media, especially on Twitter. And that was pretty much it. Like, And the thing that actually inspired me to really become involved in this group is when two of my friends got killed. Like, they were first-year students from medical university. And, like, kids, they got shot in the head during protests. So, like, I don't know, like, she and their parents and... You know, like, we just finished high school, and we are in university now, and we had a very bright future ahead. They had the same bright future, and they got killed. So, like, that was one of the main factors that actually made me become involved actively in the protest, and actually in the activism. Yeah. Just picking up on that, Abby, because I think sometimes, you know, it's sad to say that so many people have been killed that we almost, like, it, it's almost like we're numb to it or, you know, it doesn't have a reaction. But just when you say it like that, like two of your friends who are your age in their first year of university being shot dead for peacefully protesting, it's it's crazy. It really is. Um, so they were medical students, is that right? Yeah, one of the students is a medical student and another one is from, I guess, um, he's like my high school classmate. So he's also from a first, like a freshman. It's crazy. Yeah. And what were your parents' response to that, Abby? Were they still allowing you to go out after they've heard this news? Obviously, you've got friends that are your age that have just been peacefully protesting, and surely your parents are, are, are going to try and say to you, look, it's not safe to go out. Yeah, they they actually don't let me go out again, like, after the first one. Now that they got killed in Mendeley, um, we know that military is going to shoot everyone out. Like, they had the same experience back in 88 and 2007. So, like, yeah, like, I think it's only natural and understandable that they don't let me go out. But I did continue all my activism online. And in terms of the grieving process, Abby, were you able to have a funeral? Were were you able to pay respects? And were were the family of your friends able to pay respects? You mean, like, um, going to their funeral and such? Um, I wondered whether the practice, because they were shot in the head from protesting, was it okay for them to have the usual funeral practices? Was everyone um, able, was there any prevention in terms of them being allowed to mourn in, in the usual way? Yeah, like, they actually took the body, like, firstly, and then they gave the body back to the family, so, like, we were able to hold the usual funeral, yeah. Yeah, I think we saw, like, a lot of cases where that wasn't the case, or the family didn't receive the body back, or they were just burned in a crematorium, and that the families were just notified. So I think, yeah, maybe those earlier ones before they started hiding the bodies, I guess. But yeah, that's really sad, Abby, actually, really sorry. Um, So talk us a little bit through what online activism is, and kind of what it involves, and, and how you spend your days since then. So firstly, I did some campaigns. Back in March, yeah, I did some kind of, like, the people from Myanmar, they don't really use Twitter to, like, speak out much, which is, like, international platform, because, like, Facebook just, like, showing news on the inner circle. So, like, we had to encourage people to come to Twitter. So uh, there was a campaign on Facebook that I did back then where we, like, let people comment, like, the number of tweets they have tweeted on their Twitter, and, like, we donate the same amount to the CDMers. So, like, that was one of the significant campaigns that I did back in, back in the day, before I started Cooping Canvas, because I can, like, I have to commit all my time to Cooping Canvas, so I cannot, I cannot really, like, speak out much of social media. But, like, before that, it was just, like, spending all my time speaking out on social media. I also, like, wrote some articles for University of Greenwich, which I am studying for the group. So, yeah, like, 
what I did was I did some campaigns and I speak out on social media all the time and I did write some documents to my university. Do you worry about the risks of speaking out online even? Is that something that concerns you? No, not really. I think like this is actually the bare minimum that we should be doing because when I told you like some of my friends got killed, like at this very young age, they have risked everything. So I think it would be very shameless of me to say that I am even taking risks by speaking out online. So I think I'm doing bare minimum and like this is what I should be doing as a citizen and as their friend. Like we do hear stories of military soldiers, you know, coming and checking people's phones at checkpoints or coming to their houses. And if they have anything on their phones that's like anti-military or pro-NLD of them being taken and imprisoned. So in that sense, some people are very afraid to do anything online. But do you think there's ways to speak out online without adding extra risks like that? I think like you can you can always take security measures, for example, like not going with your real identity. And as long as like you're not including your like sensitive information, for example, like address and phone number in speaking out, I think that's totally fine. And I think the military just have lots of people to affect that they cannot they cannot really focus on people like me. For example, as long as like people like Ahmad that and who values are safe. I think I am quite good because, like, I'm not even doing lots of like public stuff. So yeah, um, I don't think military can really focus on people like me. They have so many other issues to focus. And do you see the role of online activists as an important one in this? As you say, the military are very busy with a <laughs> with a lot of other things and trying to crack down on people in the country. But do you think that you guys who are speaking out, do you think that you've got an important role to play? overall in this anti-coup resistance? I think online activism is actually very important. For example, people documenting Myanmar and like what's happening in Myanmar pages, they are doing lots of great stuff in having the record of the revolution. So I think online plays a great part in the documenting, like in history, because like we grew up under manipulated and twisted history, like having the right work and knowing what's really going on in the country. I think online plays a great part in that. In that part. So like speaking of that, I think I, I want to like tell you guys a little bit about my resentment towards military originated through my childhood in high school through like history textbooks and stuff. So like when I was younger, I'm like now eighteen year old and I just become aware of things going on in my country, especially like the Rohingya genocides and stuff. So like when I was young, like without even knowing anything about politics, nor like a single thing about former military regimes, I had that resentment towards military. Everything is institutionalized here, you know, like for the record, the kind of information about history I had access to was basically history textbooks with manipulated and twisted facts. Unless you're a kid who's a history enthusiast and like dig deeper into it or grew up in a pro-democracy family with affiliations to the revolution back in 88, I think history textbooks are all that's available. Like we were taught stuff like racism and extremismophobia at school and at home and like through teachers, especially through our specially designed syllabus. We were taught Burma supremacy and brought up in a Buddhist center environment where other religions were neither considered nor respected. But like we were brainwashed as uh, cults and extremist groups trying to dominate the world. Also, we were made to worship dictators, and we're taught that genocide against like regimes are our country's long history to be proud of. So like everything just seems so problematic on the rush ground. Like even as a kid, like maybe like 12, 13, I understood that this is the whole thing supposed to be. Like it didn't felt right. 
feel like what I want to say is like back to the point. Like when you mentioned the importance of online activism and like documenting, I want to say that we grew up with so many propaganda and you know like systemized. They just teach us what they want to teach, like not the real facts. Even like history, everything is twisted and manipulated. Like the military includes like facts from their side, their perspective, and didn't really tell us what's really going on. So like it's actually affected those like you know children and who didn't really have access to resources about the politics. I think for example we didn't really have the chance to really understand what happened in our country. So like when we have everything available online, we have people really talking online, like students and like people back in eighty eight. You know, it's like they bring everyone together. We sort of have a conversation going on online, so like no one can really, you know, brainwash or like spread any propaganda. So I think like I wouldn't say online activism isn't significant, although I I think I'm not at risk for doing that. Yeah, Abby, how did you come to understand that history is not correct or that you're being sold one version of somebody else's truth? Like as you say, it's not something that's taught to people in schools to think for themselves or to think critically. So how did you come to that yourself? I think I have to like firstly it's like common sense. Like when they tell us stuff like when Alamedia go and like just genocided the Thai people, we are told that it is our country's victory. But like when you think of it, genocide is not victory. It's a sin, like it's a murderer. And we are told that he's a hero, like the kings back in back in the day they like they committed so many genocides. They brought the cultures of other tribes and we are told that that's like heroic. So like on the rational ground, it's like, it's just morally very wrong. So yeah, that's why I realized that, you know, it's just very problematic, um, in a way. And also, like, I learned so many things after coup. Like I told you, I was like oblivious before the coup because like also young and I didn't also have facts and resources available, but I learned a lot after the coup and like reflected how these things that we were taught, like as a child were really problematic and yeah, that's one of the facts. And I also read so many books. I, I kind of see what you're saying as well. Like, you know, when, as you say, like two people you know are killed by the military, then you know they're innocent people. You know them. You know they haven't done anything to deserve that. So, you know, you can see through the propaganda and the lies when it directly, you know, impacts your own life. Do you think that a lot of people having experienced that firsthand since February with so many people arrested, tortured, killed, that people are, are opening their eyes even without any books to teach them they're seeing it for themselves yeah like um you can say this is an experience that is lived and not read for example people who are like very enthusiastic about history they can learn about military propaganda through books but for us this is not something that is told to us we actually live through it so like everything is understood you know like we know what they're trying to do and we are actually living that moment how do you feel, Abby, about the way things are right now in the country? We have this kind of defensive efforts going on, this fighting back against the military. Is that something that you're in favor of? Do you see this going in the side of the people? Do you think this is going to go on a long time? Like, what do you feel as somebody who is currently there living through this in the country, the outcome is going to be? Or, or do you know yet? Actually, I, I think I, I wouldn't say that I know. You know, I cannot say which side will win because like, we cannot ignore the fact that military has like stronger weaponry, funding, management, technology, and human resources. But the reason why I think we are the strongest side 
like despite all the facts that are bringing us down, it's because of the CDM. I think CDM just plays one of the like the most the most significant role in this revolution. Like I I don't think this whole revolution would exist if there was no CDM. Like it would just end it. It would have just ended as like protest back in February. So I would say the reason why we will win is because of CDM, and it's only a matter of how much longer we can hold. Because everything starting from like businesses to our day-to-day functions are stopped. And like, I don't think a country can go on that long with its people not like trying to be functional. So like, that's one of the main reasons why I think like we can win. So like, I think we should keep supporting the CDM. Although I also think the armed revolution and the PDF play a very significant role. We cannot ignore the importance of CDM and like, we have to keep supporting them and help them to hold longer than this and not go back to the work and make their mechanism functional. So yeah, like, I cannot say for sure that we will win, but if we, like, focus on CDM and, like, keep supporting them, I think there is hope, yeah. Do you know many people, Abby, who have participated in CDM? Um, Like, not that people that I personally know of, but I do have lots of people in my inbox that are coming and asking me for funding, and I have a startup, and like we have a page on Facebook, and there are so many people, like maybe hundreds of people, who keep coming in to like help them with the funding because like they've been like jobless for months now, and they're struggling financially. So yeah, and that's one of the main reasons why I started Kubi Canvas, like to support them in the long run. Um, you said that you should have been in first year university. Were you going to stay in Myanmar and study in university? Um, actually, I studied in a university called YTU, like Technological University in Myanmar before like pandemic, like in 2019-20. And then I had to stop because like my major is architecture and we cannot really like do that online. So like I studied business IT from University of Greenwich online. And then I had to take a deferral because of like because of the connection um, really bad. And now I want to focus on activism. So I just deferral from my university. In terms of your friends that um, were, were murdered in the protests, were they studying medicine in Myanmar? Yeah, some of them were studying medicine in Myanmar. Like, I know lots, lots of friends from medical university who are actively involved and some of them are killed. Like one or two that I know of not killed and the other, they are so many that got abducted. In terms of how education is going on there, I mean, I, I heard that the government schools are trying to go back soon as well. Um, but there's a lot of CDM. What is it like at university level? I imagine there's lots of lecturers that have just refused to go um, back. Yeah, like I think 90% of students don't really go back to the university and there is that social punishment thing going on in universities as well. Like if you go back, then you're going to be social punished. And there are groups from university students where we like document and record the people who go back to the university. Like they are, like we just assume them that they are from the opposite side and like we just, we just don't, we just cannot see them as like anymore because you know like this is not a thing about being pro-choice like this is clearly a matter of you know do you feel sorry for people that died back in March February I don't know like if you feel even a little bit sorry like I don't think it's morally okay to just go back to the university and most students don't like we are I think there are university students who are the most active in the revolution so yeah we're not gonna go back as long as we don't get the market back we don't care how long we'll be out of school. Like, education doesn't matter anymore, you know? 
because there are students that are my friends who are in PDF as well. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as well, like I, I completely understand what you're saying because there are people who say, oh, well, you know, some people, you know, if they want it just because they're going back to, to university or, you know, they need to get their education, they need to, you know, get their futures. But I understand what you're saying is you guys see that there is no future and there is no education as long as the military is in power. So the idea is to stop everything that keeps that country from running efficiently under the military. And CDM or not going to school or not going to university is part of that wider movement of stopping the country from functioning. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah, like, because, you know, like I said about the textbooks that are somehow their mechanism for their propaganda. Like, if you go back to school, you're not going to be learning. You know what I mean? Like, they just want you to learn the things that they want you to learn. They teach you to be their minions. Like, they teach you to be obedient. They don't give you the real education, you know? So I don't think, like, I grew up really angry, like, about the whole education system. Like, it's just so messed up. So, like, that's why, like, most students in Myanmar just go to first world countries and get the first world education because we don't get real education here. Even if you study for 10 years from, like, KG to high school, you're not going to be learning anything real. You're just wasting your time with those toxic and ideologies and stuff. Yeah. Like we are seeing more opportunities for students to get education online. Even some of it is free and there's a lot of initiatives going on. Do you see that as like something that's going to stick around a while in Myanmar, that people are going to take these opportunities? Or is is the lack of kind of stable internet and access to technology a barrier for a lot of people still? Um, actually, I, I am actually working in something like that, an online school like that called Secret Academy. And we actually work on like sending a box called DBE box to students who are in remote areas to actually learn and like get access to our server without actually needing the internet. So like we are taking this initiative. So like I don't think internet will be a barrier anymore like in one or two years. And also like we are focusing on developing so many like syllabuses that are improved and progressive. Yeah, like I always um, say to people in the West, like that young people in Myanmar are kind of impressive <laughs> compared to young people elsewhere. Like at your age, what you actually can set out and achieve is pretty phenomenal. And like just even thinking of what age you are and all the things you're doing since February. So in terms then of this initiative, Coon Canvas, that you're involved in, because I love it. I think it's like so creative it's so pretty and it's just a really great way to help raise money um so do you want to tell us a little bit about Coo and canvas oh yeah like back in i think june i told you like i mentioned before there i have that little startup like tech startup where we have a page on facebook and people just come us for help like the cdmr like so um we actually help them like three or four us and then there are so many more cdmrs coming in so yeah we had to like think of alternative fundraising ways to keep providing them. So like I, I told you I am an architecture student, so like I we have so many friends in our circle, like who really do great digital drawing. Like I talk with some of my friends and that like we hold a private artwork sale and it was success and we actually fundraised like a good amount from that little private artwork sale that I held on my personal account. So, like, that's where, like, the idea of, like, Cuban Canvas just initiated. Like, what if we, like, call for artists around Mar and, you know, like, if they just sell some of their artwork, 
I think we can really like fundraise a good amount. And yeah, we did a campaign like with the help of Brianna. I think that's when you heard about Cuban capitalism. And then we had that vision that it's gonna be a really like sustainable business model in the long run. Like we can actually do merchandises and like give people an alternative way to like get things like that they can use it really. And at the same time, like contribute to the revolution. So yeah, that's how I started Cuban Campus. And it, it just started with three or four CDMers coming in for help. Now we're helping like so many people. So in terms of Cuban Campus, how can people support it? What kind of things can they buy and who's going to benefit the most from people buying something from Cuban Campus? We have three like factors that we are like benefiting. So like the first one is Everything from Cuban campus. We order from some students who are CDM students, like starting from prints to like tote bags to package. Like everything is from those like local students. I feel like we are benefit of that. Like the more orders we get, we are able to order more from them and we get more profits. And at the same time, the other thing that we're benefiting is the artists. Like they get exposure and like we just trademark their whole identity in like every time we launch a product line. So yeah. The second part is the artists. And we also have so many plans to do competitions where artists can like raise awareness about certain issues. For example, like elimination of violence against women. Like that's the topic that we're gonna be holding as a campaign next month. Like just a hint. And from that campaign we're gonna be choosing some of the artists' work and like give them some kind of like money. Like, you know, like just to help them because like artists are also having a really hard time. So we want to help them financially in a way. At the same time, like raise awareness on certain issues. And like clearly the third one is the CDMers and the PDF. We are donating like 40, 60 persons to do them. So yeah, these are three of our main targets to help out. And like if people want to help us out, all they have to do is maybe like buy some merch from us. Like, Every time you buy, for example, like five tote bags, we are able to help out like maybe like two CDMers. So yeah, that can go really far. And I think that's like, that's great that people also get a product. You know, it's nice when you are supporting and donating, but you also get something in return. And some of the, the products are really cool. Like, you know, really nice designs. Um, there's a really nice tote bag. It's really cool. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's trying to get people to understand, like, you're not paying X amount of money for a bag, like, you're paying this money to support artists and CDMers in Myanmar, and you're getting a really awesome bag in return. Um, so it's kind of trying to get people to understand that it's donation, uh, rather than buying, you know, even though you do get a product at the end of it. Um, but your packaging is really cool as well. And how, how logistically difficult is it to be doing this right now? Um, we, we are under a lot of pressure, by the way, because like we, we had to launch products and like, for example, if you want to launch a product, you have to take at least like three or four months, like with preparation and everything. But like we try to start everything in less than two weeks. So yeah, there's just a lot of pressure and especially like logistics. I, I have to like smuggle out of Myanmar. So yeah, it takes some time and then he has to ship them back to wherever the orders are. And I think the only problem that, that we currently have is the, the shipping fee. Like, they're just really high. And when we just sell for like 20 or $30, and then people have to pay, like, if they are from US, they have to pay for like $15 for shipping. So, like, that's not going to donations at all. I think it just got wasted with, like, you know, in the middle. 
don't like most people don't want to pay that much for equipment. So yeah, we're we're trying to figure out ways to solve that problem. Maybe like buying a volunteer in maybe like in the states or yeah I know what you mean because like shipping costs like that is just it's wasted money when so many people could benefit from it in Myanmar but hopefully you'll find somebody who can kindly do that for a year for free but I'm sure um there might be ways to find that but it's still a great initiative but yeah I just imagine it's so difficult trying to do that out of Myanmar right now I just like I can't even imagine so um you don't have your website up and running just yet is that right yeah but, like I had to like postpone for uh, Coven Canvas a little bit. So if people want to uh, buy from you guys on Coon Canvas, they can just like reach out to you via your Instagram page, I guess. Is that the easiest way? And then you give them the details of how they can purchase. Yeah, like they just have to come to our social media page and like give us their address and phone number and the quantity of product they want. At that point, do you get them a price or an estimate for the shipping? Yeah, we actually have our shipping fees like priced out already. Oh, okay. So yeah. Okay, very good. But yeah, I wouldn't mind just because you mentioned social punishment earlier and you mentioned that like students who, who are going into university or whatever would be getting social punishment. So for people who don't know what that is, can you tell us a little bit about social punishment? I think like social punishment, basically we gather the information about that particular person and we just share it online. Like this is the person who is military affiliated. And for example, it's worse if your cur is an infamous, like we just expose every single detail about their life online. It's, it's more like cyberbullying. I don't really support it though. And it, like, so is there a real fear that at any point, if you do something, you could be a victim no. of that kind of social punishment? I think if you do stuff like, for example, there was that thing about GoFundMe, like students from Myanmar, they want to leave the country. They are not doing any activism work and they sort of like, you know, abuse. The fact that the country is in critical condition to get their funding, so like they got to punish because like it's not right. You cannot like use the country's condition to get out of here when you don't really actually contribute to the revolution. Like it's actually very understandable when you like become really actively involved and you are on the run and like it's a life death condition and you actually need to get out of the country and you need funding. We will support that, but like don't use like don't. Don't abuse the country's critical condition to, you know, like, just get out of the country. Um, the, the idea of social punishment does worry me slightly. I mean, just from a personal point of view, we've, I've seen posts about former students and things, and we, me and Suzanne taught in Myanmar in an international school, and some of our students did have parents who were affiliated with the military, but it didn't, it wasn't their views. It wasn't what they believed. And do you think there's ever a risk at all of, of you know, demonizing the wrong person? And is it always a productive focus when you do, you have actual bad guys committing bad crimes in terms of those, the people killing people? If you were united in focusing on that, might it be more productive than, you know, finding other ways to demonize people that aren't as actively involved? Yeah, like you have a point. Most of the people, when they do social punish, what they see is those people from the lowest um, hierarchy in the military, you know, like maybe like generals and stuff. They usually focus on them, but then like we actually cannot really reach out to those like cronies and the elite community. So yeah, I think we should focus mostly on those cronies, like even if we want to social punish, because like, most of the people, they got social punish because I don't know, like their criteria isn't just very clear 
and it's now like very ethical, like at some point. So I think such a, the idea of the punishment is also very anti-democratic in a way. So yeah, I don't support it, but I would rather encourage them to like collect more information about that elite community and maybe like focus on that and we can focus on wine cotton and the military affiliated businesses. That's the effective way, but like you said, it's, it's not good to demonize one person, especially like just because they are simply military affiliated. And I think that's like against the idea of defections as well. When we just social punish everyone to military affiliated, why would we accept soldiers who are defective, like who defected to our side? Like these concepts just go very opposite. So yeah, I think some people really deserve to be social punished. Like who just like lovingly ignore, especially some celebrities. They just like you know the countries in critical condition, and they would just um you know post their daily updates. They don't speak out for a single moment, and they are also like crony affiliated. So I think some people really deserve that at some point, but that whole concept of social punishment is just really not um, democratic in a way. I actually just. On an unrelated point, but kind of ties into this, I read a message this morning in an expat group saying on an update on, on their, their life in Myanmar right now to tell the other expats to come back was what I took the message to be. There's obviously not just elite people in Yangon, but there's also, you know, foreigners and expats who are living a very surreal, you know, existence there and having a great life too, in their own words. I mean, but, how does that make you feel, Abby, when you hear that? Well, I think that's just very funny in a way. It's ridiculous. Like, people live in another planet, like, but you can literally live in a bubble in places like Yangon. You know, you can go to fancy hotels, you can stay in your, you know, apartment. I mean, I, I know because I live there and I know exactly how you can live in these bubbles. Um, but it's crazy that so many are, but like, is that a question at the moment of like the role of foreigners that are still in the country? Like, why are they there? What are they contributing? Like the fact that this person is recommending great opportunities right now to be had in the country. Yeah, like, so I don't think it's only foreigners, but there are people in our circle, like friends and connections who are actually living that same exact life, that lavish thing, still going out, still partying. So yeah, I, I think it's not just foreigners. It's just a matter of like, if they really understand what's going on in the country and if they really care, you know, like, and also, like, in, in a way, like, you're saying about economy and, like, job opportunity stuff. I think there is that declining economy and hyperinflation thing going on. And I think it is expected when we did the CDM, like, it's the expected outcome. This is supposed to happen. So I don't think it's, um, like, something that's surprising. Like, we chose that path. Like, we know that the economy is going to go down. And, like, we still chose it because, like, you know, we dictate the economy. We dictate the currency and everything. Like, if we intentionally let that go down, because, like, we had to, we had to, I mean, like, in a way, I am a business student as well. So, like, when we do that, it's, it's going to hurt so many factors. Like, when we look from the intersectional approach, it's not just uh, military that's going to be affected, but people are going to be affected as well. But then, like, I don't know, like, it's just funny when the foreign experts, like, try to say the economy is declining because blah, blah, blah. It's just, I don't know, like, Everything happening right now is expected and we, we chose that path. Like, this is our choice, you know? Yeah, I think it's a good point. Like, CDM is meant to crash your economy. Like, that is the whole point of it. <laughs> but I think, I think the, 
the horrible thing with that is just like whoever wrote in Cezanne's group there, they're probably being paid in dollars. And there'll be a lot of wealthy elite in Myanmar who aren't affected by this because they have overseas bank accounts. So the unfortunate reality is, yes, yeah, CDM is, is designed to affect the economy, but it is the very poor that will be the first hit and the worst hit. And it does take a sanction such as Mogi to really affect the people at the top. I mean, we even had the UK ambassador a couple of weeks ago tweeting about how lovely it was to live in Yangon. And my friend who lived in Yangon was telling me about explosions that were going on on her street. So I, I do think there's varying degrees of how far removed from it you can be. And in terms of the economy, it is going to be a dire situation for a lot of people who don't have a stable income. And you would have to be that type of person that can walk down the street and turn a blind eye to that. For it not to affect you. Yeah, but especially like the civilians. Even if you're not doing the uh, the economy, like day to day life, if you have a shop, the prices, everything has become double. So everyone is facing financial problems at the moment, and I think that's one of the factors that we have to think when we say like revolution as well. Like not all people can focus on the revolution because they are focused on their financial problems. Like they are struggling with their life as well. So yeah, like I think that's one of the disadvantages of like doing the CDM, but then it is expected again. I think we just have to hold a little longer and then we have to build everything from scratch again. Any last words, Abby, of wisdom for the people of Myanmar, for the international community or anybody? Final message or Yeah. Things are just so depressing by the way. But like when we look at the reality. But we are open on it. I think people are just very resilient in a way because there is like military is clearly on the win effect. I mean, like when we just look from the rational side, they are like stronger. But but then I think we will win, and you know, like we we don't want to let any regime to like just run in our lands anymore. We just want you know, like people. We want to live. We just want to have a taste of freedom, and we have ended that military rule for years and years. I, I don't think the people in Myanmar actually have a taste of, like, just living their life now, like, the American way, like, vacations, stuff, like, have fun, because most of them are struggling class. And I don't think just because we are struggling right now, it makes any, like, big difference. Like, if we win, we're going to have a really much better life. So I think that's one of the main reasons why we're, like, holding on so long. So just keep hanging in there it'll be worth it in the end is is that kind of the way you see it yeah because like if we go back to the same old like if you think of it if we didn't do any protests military wouldn't there wouldn't be any sanction there wouldn't be any economy declining the military would have just like let us live normally you know like everything normal continue and the military will take power and they will continue to do their dirty jobs on the background while people don't have time to really care about what's going on about politics but Everything that we're facing now is only because we chose to protest and go against them. So yeah, I think there is a better life out there, like especially not for the elite um, community, but for like people of Myanmar in general, because like the poverty rate is just very high even before. And I think if we just like you know like I don't think the fight is gonna end in a matter of two or three years. It will continue for a long time, like beyond our lifespan. But then we just have to like this little battle and then there will be lots of improvement coming. I have lots of friends who are very bright and 
you know, had so much potential and just because they are from third world country, their, their potentials just got, you know, don't got recognized because they grew up in this kind of education. So yeah, I think this will be worth it and we have to just break this through. I think Myanmar has a very bright future ahead on the other side of this battle and I don't want to give any false hope either because I mean like the situation truly is depressing but then like we just have to keep holding on and like I think it will be worth it in the end yeah <laughs> that's really great Abby, you're doing great work you're very yeah you're incredible young girl <laughs> you guys in Myanmar are just a different league I think and just in your ability and your drive yeah you've had to cope with so much Abby so hats off to you as always well done I think this podcast is just so cool. I've been listening to you guys' podcast like for a long time, like ever since Susan contacted me. I've been like listening to every episode. So yeah, this is just so cool. Thanks so much, Abby. Listen, have a great day and take care of yourself. Love you too. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here as well. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arnar Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at Arnar Podcast, spelled A-H-N-A-H. Please like, follow and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.